0: You have your Bible open to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Any of you ever been bitten by a snake? Come on, there he is. I knew, man, this question was for you, brother. I heard your story. Did it hurt? Uh, (laughs) If there was ever anything more terrifying to Indiana Jones, snakes. In every new chapter of the Jones saga, there's always a point in the story where he comes across snakes. And we're reminded by Dr. Jones himself why did it have to be snakes? I hate snakes. After a victory over a certain Canaanite king in chapter 21, verse 1. Israel again is on the move. Since we were last together in your reading, if you've been keeping up with that in your D group or your life group, uh, you have come across the point where Aaron has died. So Moses is without his helper now. Uh, The people of God, led by Moses, have come to the edge, if you will, of the promised land. And sent spies, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to see what it was like. Is it truly flowing with milk and honey? What are the people like? What are we going to come up against? And 10 of those spies have returned from that journey and, and said, there ain't no way. They're too big, they're too scary, they're too hairy. We can't do it. And Caleb and Joshua were the two primarily Caleb at this point, that spoke up and said, yes, we can, God, God is going with us, we, we can. Ha- it'll happen. Joshua supported him in that. But the people of Israel decide not to go, and so they rebel against God's plan, they rebel against his goodness to them um, in that moment. The story moves along to where they are without water again, and this time God tells Moses to speak to the rock and that water would flow again just like it did the first time. But this time Moses does not follow directions and he struck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock. And because of that one moment, Moses will not get to enter into the promised land. The people's rebellion to not go in their fear over their faith, leaving them to turn away from the promised land, Moses not following directions. So Moses is now going to lead a 40-year journey through the wilderness. In this journey, and of the people that are there, that are still alive, anyone older than 20 years old will die in the wilderness and not enter the promised land. So if you're willing to admit this morning that you are 20 years old, and older, would you raise your hand? All right, that's just about everybody. Now, keep your hands up. Look and see around you those who are not. Look who's left. Friends, the next generation, (laughs) get on the soapbox. The next generation is always important. As a church, we cannot overlook the next generation, ever, ever. But that's the next generation that's going to go into the promised land. Numbers chapter 21, we'll pick up in verse 4 with another moment where Israel is going to rebel. It's a cycle. If you would stand to your feet as I read, verse 4 to verse 9, then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that we would see Jesus. Open our eyes that we would see your love and your grace for your creation through Jesus the Son. Lord, open our eyes that we might look and see Jesus who was lifted up for our sin, that by grace through faith we would be saved. Father, what we do not know, teach us what we have not provided for us. And what we are not yet make us for your glory and our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. What we find in Israel is a constant cycle. You really see it play out in the Book of Judges, which we'll get to in time. But there's always this cycle of rebellion, affliction confession, repentance, and a time to come back of deliverance by the Lord. But what we see in Israel's heart is something that we will see in all of our hearts, which is discontentment. The discontented heart is a heart that is in sin. Oh, lovely Mother's Day sermon. Yes, you're welcome. You'll see how Mother's Day ties in in a little bit. When you look at verse four, They are avoiding a people group. Let me back up into the opening of chapter 21. They come up to the Canaanite king of Arad, who they have to go up against. He fights against Israel, captured some of the prisoners, but then Israel makes a vow to God. Here's the vow in verse two. If you will hand this people over to us, we will completely destroy their cities. God, if you will make a way, we will walk through. And so God hears that request and he makes it happen. But then there's this people group of the Edomites. And they are, the king of Edom would not let Israel pass through their land. This is why the journey is going around. They're going to completely avoid Edom. But on that journey, going that route, you'll see they become impatient because of the journey, because of the longer way around. Friends, God's work takes time. One of the ways that we will be discontent or grow in our discontentment is impatience. When we don't allow God to work his plan, his His plan takes time. In order for that plan to move forward, it's always according to his timeline and not our timeline. Think about that for a moment. We are the land of oak trees. An acorn will become a giant oak tree, but not overnight. Overnight. A kernel of wheat, when combined with a whole bunch of kernels of wheat, will eventually grow and produce a harvest and feed millions, something so small, but it takes time. Two little cells can somehow one find the other and conceive life by the grace of God. And eventually, those two little cells that will become a six-foot-two, 240-pound middle linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. It just takes time. But the heart is most often not willing to wait. Discontentment with God's timing, discontentment with his plan, with his path that he has laid out before us in Scripture, which is the path of following Jesus the discontentment with God's purpose all lead us to start grumbling and complaining against God, a complaint against his provision of grace. And if that's where you are this morning, you will quickly and have already stepped into a path of sin, and you will only go further down that path. Discontentment also helps us to understand that we do not trust the Lord. Discontentment means that we do not trust the Lord. There's a distrust in His plan and His purpose. I have a hard time saying that because I struggle with contentment. I can find anything wrong. Man, I drive in my car down the road, and yes, it's paid for, but I hear all the rattles. And then I get to drive one, you know, uh, borrowing one that doesn't shake and rattle, and it has cooling air, air conditioning seats, and uh, you know, it's got a really, it's got a nice sound. Like you just get your eye off the ball and you get discontent real easy. That discontentment and distrust in the Lord, it will find our, its way into our hearts, and it leads you to see things through a critical lens where nothing is right, where you believe everyone is against you and everything is against you, that God never seems to answer the prayer the way you want, and so you start blaming God. The Israelites set out along that way of the Red Sea, going out of the way to miss the Edomites. And because of that path, they grow impatient and they're quite ungrateful for God's blessing in their life. So I've put a little equation there on your notes if you're taking notes this morning and you'll have to add the third one to your, uh, to your handouts. But discontentment, when we see what the heart of discontentment is, it's impatience plus ungratefulness and distrust. Distrust. All of those lead you to a place of being discontent with God, discontent with everything. God had provided them food, God had provided them water, God had provided them a supernatural escape and deliverance from Egypt. Time and time again, God has done this for them every morning. They have manna that is on the ground that they go pick up and that they eat, and yet here we are again. It's a sin-sick cycle from which they have promised to obey God. They've promised to trust him if, they would, if he would only deliver them, and yet here they are in their impatience and in their groaning, and they despise him and his grace That difficult journey led them to be impatient. Discontentment at the heart has led them to not just speak out against Moses, which is nothing new. They always speak out against Moses, but this time is different. This time, they said something about God. They verbally spoke out against God. All of God's goodness, all of his grace, all of his provision, they have discounted. They have forgotten the current situation and how God has led them to this moment of all of his blessings. And now they are a people in outright rebellion. That goodness of God, again, daily manifest, made known to them through the manna, through the water coming from the rock when Moses struck it the first time. All of that, the grace gifts that he had given, the heavenly bread, notice what they call that. They're the heavenly bread. Why have you led us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water. That's a lie. Their complaint is based on a falsehood. There is bread. Every single day, God provides bread for them called manna. There is no bread or water. We detest this what? Wretched food. Well, they just took the grace of God and threw it back in his face and said, I don't want your food. I don't want your provision. It's wretched the wretched sinner is calling the grace gift of heavenly bread wretched. Friends, we are that sinner. We are the blind. We are the wretched. They call that grace from God worthless, contemptible. You know, every time you refuse Jesus. Every time you turn away from the grace of God, you're doing the same thing. When our hearts are fixed on rebellion, when our hearts are filled with discontent, the greatest gifts from the Lord can and will lose their flavor because our heart is so hard. And it's nothing, nothing. You'll go looking for something, something that the world will promise you is gonna fulfill you, and, but you're gonna go looking everywhere you can, but nothing will satisfy until your heart is made right by repentance. The discontented heart is a heart that is in sin. Look at the three layers of their sin with me. Who do they first speak out against? they spoke against god the first sin is against god every sin is an offense against god and his holiness that's nothing new but this this time it's personal this time it's directed straight at god they're speaking against god but they're grumbling they're complaining all out of their discontentment it's all an offense against his care his love his concern, his grace, and his mercy in their life. When we think of this world as more important than the world that is to come, we will get in this place too. When we forget that our Savior, Jesus, who so many of us claim to follow, teaches us that in this life, we will have trouble. And when trouble finds us, we start grumbling and complaining and we forget that Jesus is somewhere over yonder in the glorious over yonder preparing a place for us. And that's where our heart longs to be. But in this world, we are going to have trouble and that he is preparing a place that we need to have that correction in our heart and get our eyes fixed once again on Jesus Christ. Friends, when we desire for our flesh to grow and profit rather than becoming more like Jesus, we will get into that place of discontentment and we will begin to call out the Lord for all of his faults for which there are none, which means we are calling out our God who is not at fault. We are calling him out from a place of a lie and a falsehood that is birthed in our heart because he's not doing the things the way we want them done. We sin against the Lord. When we fail to trust him for the unknown that is ahead of us, we sin against God. When we look at him and how much he has provided for us in Jesus Christ at the cross and we turn away and say, it's not enough, we call his grace wretched. The second layer of their sin is against Moses. This is nothing new that Moses would be called out for leading them out of Egypt to you know to go out into the wilderness and die in the wilderness why have you done this and Moses has always been the one to step in and pray and intercede for them for this i see a place where when you're going to commit to follow jesus we just prepare your heart for that truth that the world is not going to be our friend church it's not the world is not going to be our friend and You can try to water down the gospel and eventually you water it down enough, you're not going to have a gospel. You can try to serve two masters, but it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. The third is is the gift of God itself. Look what they call it again. We detest this wretched food. It's deplorable. It won't be the last time that Israel will turn away from the heavenly bread that God provided. In John chapter 6, Jesus told his followers there, he said, I am the bread of life. He even talks about the manna in John chapter 6 that God would provide, but he wasn't talking just about that. He's like this, he said, I am the real bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. You're You're going to need to take and eat, and he even says, you're going to need to take and eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't talking literally because that would be cannibalism and that would be disgusting and God would never lead us to that. He's talking figuratively, symbolically, of course. That is an act of putting our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice on the cross, that his body bore our sins in the wrath of God on the cross and that his blood cleanses us from our sins. And today, well, not today, but soon, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper, which we take as a symbol and a reminder and a memorial time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But when Jesus is talking about this very moment in John chapter six, so many of his disciples turned away. Why? Because they said, it's too hard. Just like the manna in the wilderness Was a wretched food. Many took Jesus' teaching as gross and wretched, and they turned away from the one truth that would save them. Friend, how you respond to the truth and to the journey that God has called you to is going to show what, where, and who you are. It will show what your heart is made of, it'll show where your heart is looking, and it'll show who's really in there. What it's going to show is that you're a sinner as we all are. It's going to show faith or the lack thereof. It's going to show a tenderness of your heart toward God. It's going to show how much you trust him and how much you take him at his word when you face the unknown and the uncertain. There are so many competing elements in this world for our attention that promise certainty, that promise good things, but there is only one who is constant and will remain for all of eternity In his name is Jesus Christ. The discontented heart is a heart that is sin, and The heart that is in sin is a heart that faces judgment. The Lord heard their complaints. And what does he do? Verse six, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. God dropped snakes in the playground. And those snakes began to go after the people. Bit them, the poisonous snakes, and they began to die. That's nothing new, friends. If you go back to Genesis chapter three, you'll see the result of sin is what? Death, God said, you will return from the, to the ground from which you came. We all face death as a judgment of our sin. If you were here last Sunday, you heard uh, Seth, uh, excuse me, Stephen uh, talking about Isaiah chapter 6. And he did a great job presenting that to us and teaching the word and preaching the word. But as a response to the holiness of God, Isaiah realized he was carrying a burden and his burden was sin. And he was amongst the people of sin. And he cried out to God, and he cried out, woe is me, and yet God stepped in and intervened, sent the seraphim over with the hot burning coal, touched his lips, his sin was atoned for, therefore he could hear and be in the presence of God because of the atoning sacrifice from the altar. But when we look in scripture, we are Isaiah. We are that sinner. And it's a simple truth. We are sinners in need of a savior. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, sum it up for us. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans. Chapter 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all, Paul says. But we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Yeah, that's all of us. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at verse 23. Could have just read this one and summed it all up for you, but I wanted you to... I would have missed the truth of the word there. Here's verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's it. That's every single one of us. The heart that is discontent is a heart that is sinned, and a heart that is in sin is a heart that faces judgment. It's coming. We deserve what God has ordered. We deserve that judgment. Now, in this moment, back in Numbers chapter 21, God sent poisonous snakes among the people and that venom caused death to many who were bitten. There is no pleading from Moses yet, but the bite of the snakes is burning. The bite of the snakes is painful. So what we see here is that playground of complaint and contempt has become a playground of the plague that the Lord has sent serpents amongst his people. Now... Will he do that and just let them all die? One day, friend, you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says, as it is appointed for people to die once and after this, judgment. You and I will stand before the judgment seat of God. Our life will be on display and we will be judged. We will be judged fairly. You know, God's not gonna do a pop quiz on you when you get up there. There's not some secret sauce that you don't know about, some secret recipe, something added to Jesus. Friend, if you trust in Jesus, he took your judgment for you at the cross. If you'll trust in him. But if you continue to refuse to trust in Jesus, if you continue to look on the bread of life as wretched, you will face judgment that day. but I want you to hear me say one more time that God has provided a way for you. The people recognize what's going on in Numbers 21. They recognize what's happening. And in verse seven, they come to Moses and they say, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. For those of you that are in Christ, you've trusted Jesus, friend, you have the Holy Spirit that will cause a check in your heart, It causes a, a check in your spirit when you are bent to let your bitterness or your discontentment take hold. That's called conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He calls out the sin in your life. Then what? Well, what happens when he calls out the sin in your life? We look at what Israel did. They called out to God. They called out to Moses. Moses interceded on their behalf. When the Israelites realized what had happened, why God did what they did what he did, they confessed their sin. You and I, Christian, must confess our sin. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and you. Intercede for us, Moses. Moses does that. Guess who is our intercessor today? Jesus Christ himself. Guess who prays for us when we don't know what to pray? The Holy Spirit. There is a seriousness of their words. When they say about God what they said, when they blame him, there is a weight to that. They are making a judgment against God, but God's grace was greater than that in this Moment. Moses intercedes. The repentant heart needed an intercessor. We needed someone to intercede for us as well. For the people, it's Moses. But today is Jesus Christ, the greater one, the great Savior that we great sinners need. And the scripture is true that says the prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. That righteous one is Jesus Christ. That man is Moses in this moment, but he cries out to the Lord. Notice the pattern there's always a pattern in scripture we can find somewhere like this there's the affliction for Israel it's always an affliction or some kind of oppression that comes as a judgment against their sin but that affliction is meant to bring about an awareness of that sin a weight to their sin that there is a burden strapped on their back that is too heavy to carry and that judgment in the moment shakes them when they see the snakes and they start getting bitten and their friends are dying there's a weight to that that causes them to to think, what is going on? Why is this happening? Oh, this must be it. There is a sin in my life. There, there is a sin that has caused me a brokenness with God. That We have sinned against God. Yes, that's what it is. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against Moses. That's what the affliction is meant to be. It's meant to bring us back around. Just like the prodigal son, who was out and spent everything he had and was living in the pig slop. That affliction of not having anything that he needed... Not having a, just a, just his dad caused him to think about what he had done and it brought him back home to find his father running down the road and embracing him in grace. The sting of sin is death. We sinners need rescue from that. We face that judgment and we 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 understand that scripture teaches that We are separated from God in our sin and we will be eternally separated if the last breath from our lungs passes away and we have not trusted Jesus for eternal life, for forgiveness of sins and for that new life. And so here you find Israel confessing. They came and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against our Lord. And then there's that petition to pray and the servant that was despised is now the intercessor that God is going to use to deliver them. Isn't that amazing? That is exactly who Jesus was he was despised and afflicted for our sin and yet he is the one today who intercedes for you on behalf of you on behalf of you the sinner to the glorious and holy father god he is the one who stands between the sting of death The sting of sin is death, and sin still has its way in humanity. It still has a way in our hearts, and it's a poisonous snake bite that will lead to death because that comes from sin, but there is always a remedy. God always brings rescue. He always provides that, and if it's this moment, it's to look to Christ. Look at what what he tells Moses. Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. Moses does just that. And he says at the end of verse 9, whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he did what? He recovered. God graciously responded to Moses, his prayer. He gives him those instructions. Here's what you need to do. Here's the remedy that leads to rescue. The salvation is here. Notice God appointed it. Moses didn't go make it up. It wasn't the people who made it up. God told Moses exactly what to do. Friend, you cannot invent your own pathway to forgiveness for your sin. It's not going to work. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. God appointed that his son would die for you on the cross, and that through Jesus Christ would be that one and only remedy. Moses, in this moment, is to mount the bronze serpent on the pole and lift it up for everyone to see. That is exactly what Moses does. As we read, the person bitten recovered when they looked to the bronze snake. Now, that's an interesting verb there. It's an interesting verb, looked to. They had to look to it. When anyone is bitten and looks at it, that verb, looks at it, to look, is to look in such a way that conveys faith. It is an expression and an act of faith. It says, I'm looking at the bronze snake. I am trusting God for recovery. What's the the alternative to not trust God and to die? So, you've got not trusting God and dying, or trusting God and recovering by His grace and His mercy and continuing on with my life. An expression, an act of trusting in God's word. And it's to steadfastly, always look to that image lifted up on the pole. To look to, not just to look to, but as a result, to look to and to recover. The repetition is there in verses eight and nine so that we get the point. Look to it, recover. Anyone who did, looked at it and recovered. That we're looking with hope for salvation. We're looking at, with hope and expectation for healing. It's, it's an act of faith in a God who controls the God who controls all power over life and death. This is the God who spoke everything into being. He has given us the path, the remedy. Look to it. Look at it. Perceive it. Fix your eyes upon it. There's an intellectual there, a moment there. We look at it, perceive it. There's also part of our will there that looks to it for salvation and for recovery. God said, look at it in order to find healing, in order to find the remedy. They had to take God at his word. God graciously provided that moment. Friends, as Coastal Oaks Church, we are on this journey as well. We've had moments of splendor and and the miraculous, and we've had moments that are just kind of head scratching and despairing. But the one thing we must always do is to be a people who take God at His Word. And He calls the church to always look to the cross, always look to the Christ. You gotta trust God's word. It all goes back to that. You've got to take God at his word. If they don't trust him, they die. It's as simple as that. And church, if we don't take God at his word, if we fail to trust God, we will die. Maybe not physically in this moment. But Coastal Oaks Church will cease to exist if we fail to trust God. May we always be a church that will trust in God. Nicodemus questioned this young upstart rabbi fresh into town. His name was Jesus in John chapter 3. He'd seen this young man, this this Jesus, do some miracles. He had heard him teach. In fact, he told this young rabbi, we believe you are from God. How could it be otherwise that you are able to do the signs that you're doing and and speak the way you're, you're teaching? How else? Well, Jesus, after that compliment, immediately said, You must be born again to receive eternal life. Just open up a can of worms. Man, Jesus never pulled any punches. He was 100 miles an hour all the time. But Nicodemus struggled with that. Nicodemus was an old man. No offense to anybody in this room that might fall into that category, but he was an old man. And that confused him. He said, well, wait a minute. You said I got to be born again, but how is that possible? I'm an old man. I can't go back into my mother's womb. See, there's Mother's Day right there. I told you, it all, it all connects. Nicodemus said, how, how could I be born again? How, I can't go back in and come back out. And of course, Nicodemus is thinking physical. Jesus is talking so much more about the, the matter of the heart and the spiritual. But Jesus, in that, in that moment, in that conversation, Jesus would reference to Nicodemus this very story out of Numbers 21. He goes on to tell Nicodemus about how what, what the Son of Man must have to, was going to endure at the cross, but, but here is what he says to Nicodemus. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is how it relates to us. We may not have, and we're grateful that we don't have snakes in our midst this morning, that are biting us and we're all dying. But we have the old crafty serpent who is always out to get us with temptation to lead us in a path of sin. That sin leads to death. So we might as well understand that the sting of sin is death. But God has provided a remedy because his son, was lifted up on the cross that if you would look to him just as Moses lifted up that serpent that day and the people looked and were recovered, we too can look to the cross of Christ and see our Savior giving his life and there we find redemption. There we find recovery. There we find healing. There we find forgiveness and new life. Jesus had to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Friend, if that's you this morning, and if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, for the forgiveness of your sins, and to receive the new life that he brings, you've got a bite, you've been bitten, and your life, your eternal destiny is literally hanging in the balance. Jesus was lifted up so that today you can look to him for that salvation, that you would look to him in faith, that you're trusting God, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the one who has paid the price for your sin by receiving the wrath of God, and that he is not dead, but God, in fact, raised him from the dead on the third day, that you would receive his grace and mercy. That will cleanse you give you a fresh start, and just like Nicodemus was told that you would be born again, starting a path down the road of following Jesus. If that is you this morning, in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. Um, Our deacons will be here this morning because we've got some baptisms in just a few moments I'll have to get ready for, but our deacons will be here to pray with you, and I want to encourage you that if that is where you are this morning... Come find one of these men that will be down here and let them talk to you. Ladies, some of their wives, if, if that's you and you, you don't want to come to one of our deacons, their wives, are hand, their, their wives are available. They will help you as well. If we had anybody in this room that is, a, that is a believer would love to speak with you about following Jesus, if that's where you are. Church, for you this morning, we have to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our families need him. Our finances need him. Our relationships, discipleship, evangelism, we always must keep our eyes on Jesus. The minute that we take our eye off of Jesus is the minute that we're gonna be led down to complaining against our God and his grace. We have to always look to Jesus. And if there are times when we look away, church, let us turn our eyes upon Jesus once again and look full in his wonderful face. Because when we look to Jesus, we find recovery. We find the anti-venom to the sin's poisonous bite, and we can stand confidently in Christ and say, where, O oh, death, is your sting?